Welcome to Shofar Ronnebosch Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. You know, the most important thing as we gather is not the performance of the whole service. Because it's very easy for us and the band and the preaching to be an entertainment that will either make feel the audience good or bad. And it's very easy to take that route when we don't choose to ask the Lord what is on your heart and how does it look like to come before your throne? How does it look like to worship you in spirit and in truth? You know, Jesus said, he said, I came to do the will of my father. Jesus had one purpose, to obey the father. To walk in his ways. He says in John 5 verse 19. He says. The son of man does not do nothing. Except what he sees the father doing. And this morning our desires. Is that. At the end of the day. After moving from this place. In our hearts. We will have a desire. To live not the way we want. Not the way the world have taught us how to live. But we will be on this journey. Of beholding who Christ is, and allowing that truth to, to really transform the way, transform our heart and transform the way we think. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are beholding, like in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, as by the Spirit of the Lord. And it's not something that we do in our own efforts, but it is by the Spirit of the Lord. And, you know, there's a scripture that says, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. The whole Bible exists because the Holy Spirit spoke to man. The Bible says, led by the Spirit, they spoke about him. Moses built the tabernacle because it was revealed to him. If you think of the life of Jesus, the life of Jesus was prophesied by Isaiah and many other prophets through the Holy Spirit. If you look at the entire ministry of Jesus, it was filled up with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth. If you look at the apostles, you look at the book of Acts, one of the greatest themes in the book of Acts is the theme of the Holy Spirit. So if you remove the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, outside of Christianity, you are not doing Christianity. You are doing something else. So the Holy Spirit, Miles Monroe said, the Holy Spirit is the most important person on earth. And he said, the most important work on earth is the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God with us. Someone else said, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit is the invisible presence of Jesus in our midst. You know, in this life, we do have families and friends, but there is not a greater friend. There is not a greater and closer person like the Holy Spirit. Because he's able to speak in a way that reveals the heart of God. Preachers can fail you. Can fail you. I can offend you in the sermon. I can fail you. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, he will comfort you. 
he will exalt you. He will encourage you. Because he speaks from the love of the Father. Because he's God. Because he loves you. So I'm wanting to speak about loyalty to the Holy Spirit. Loyalty to the Holy Spirit. Loyalty is basically a strong feeling of attachment. A strong feeling of fidelity. It's like when people get married. There are times one of the most important moments when people get married is the moment when, they, when they, the people make vows. Because in that moment, everyone promised to remain loyal to whoever they will marry. If you think of life, life is really designed in such a manner that we are constantly in relationship. Either with people or with something. With creation. We are relational beings. And the way God has designed life, there are relationships that play a massive role in terms of our destiny, in terms of our calling, and even in terms of our identity. The most important relationship is the relationship we have with God. And the way God has set up life and has set up life with man, with all of us, is done it through covenant. It's a covenant relationship. Jesus, while he was having the Last Supper, when he was about to share the wine with them, he said, take this as the blood of this new covenant. The whole life we have with God is basically a life that we are benefiting because of the blood of Jesus. There was a man called Jonathan who made a covenant with David. Jonathan was a son of Saul. And uh, they made a covenant. The Bible said they loved one another as, as one soul. Now it happened that Jonathan died and his father. Later on when David became king. David asked, is there anyone from the family of Jonathan that is still alive? Is there anyone from the family of Saul that is still alive? And the Bible says they went to feature man. They spoke to him. There is a guy called Mephibosheth. He was somewhere. He said, now this man was, a, was crippled. And according to the custom back then, he wasn't supposed to be, to come and sit on the same table with the king. Because he was impure because of his physical state. But now, when David heard about him, David said, let, he asked that they may go and fetch him so that he may come and have a meal. He said, he will sit on the table with me until the last days of his life. As long as he's king, the guy was going to be always with me on the table. Not because... He deserved it, but because of the covenant he made with Jonathan. You know, we have communion with God today. We fellowship with God today because of the blood of the covenant of Jesus Christ. The one he shed on the cross. But now, when two people make covenant, what sustains the covenant is loyalty. What sustains the relationship is loyalty. Loyalty speaks of how committed you are practically because there is a verbal commitment that people make but then there are moments to act on the verbal commitment that we make so i'm going to use a few examples of few of a few stories in scriptures of people that made commitment to one another and i'm going to use that as a metaphor to speak about 
our relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And the first story I'm going to share from Ruth uh, chapter 1 from verse 11 up to verse 17. Just going to read it. All right. But Naomi said, now I'm just going to kind of explain the context. So as most of us know the story, um, uh, Naomi was married to a man called Elimelech. And now with this man, they, they were living in Judah. And at some point they decided to, to move to Moab because there was famine in the land. And then they went there. When they got there, her husband died. And she had two sons, and the two sons also died. Now she was sitting with two sisters, uh, uh, daughter-in-law. Now, um, it was quite a tricky situation. And she heard that God blessed her country, and she wanted to decide to go back to Judah. And the, the scripture says that she told them, well, you know, you know, I don't have any more kids that would marry you. And even if I would... If I were to have a son today, will you wait until he grows so that he may marry you? So I suggest that you, got, you, uh, you get back to your own country and to, to your families because I'm going to go back to, 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 to my own country. And there were two of them, it was Horpa and Ruth, as most of you know, and um, they cried. It was a very difficult conversation. It was a very tough moment. And you know, one of the blessings about women is that they are very emotional. You know, women can easily cry. When they are happy, they can cry. When they are not happy, they can cry. They can cry about everything. <laughs> it's a blessing that they have. Um, well, guys... For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge or where you stay, I will lodge, I will stay. 
Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything, but death parts from you. This was a massive commitment. This was an intense moment. I think if you bring it today, that's probably rude. Eh? Imagine you have two, two daughters-in-law. And you tell them, what? even if I get married today, are you going to wait for another guy to, you know, are you, even if these children have to, be, to grow? That was quite hectic. So I think she was very sincere. She was caring about them. And she said, well, you guys can go. So now Orpah left. But there is not a single place where the scripture says, God said to Ruth, Ruth, well, stick with Naomi. She, for some reason, she, she just had a conviction. She had a, either an intuition, a prophetic intuition, I don't know. But she, she decided to stick with Naomi. She said, where you will go, I will go. Where you will stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. One of the things that you'll also notice when, when, when Naomi is speaking to Ropa, you said, well, you can, she, she went to her people, she went to her gods. So it's very interesting that she, she was aware that Naomi had a relationship with God. She was aware of her relationship with God. So now they decided to, to move to, to Judah. They went, they arrived there. And now if you move to Ruth chapter 3. Now what happened is, as you know the story, she went to glean and she was working and she found herself in the, on the field of Boaz and everything. Um, what you'll notice when you read chapter 2 and chapter 3, there are very few moments where she spoke. And most of the time when she spoke, she either responded to questions from Boaz or... She responded to a few questions when she reports to Naomi about what happened when she went to glean. And many times she was responding or to the suggestions made by, by, by Naomi. So the majority of the speech that you'll see as you read the scripture were actually things that was said. There was, a, there was, a, there was more things said by, by Naomi than Ruth. So she was basically in full submission to Naomi. She was listening to her. She was relying on her. Everything Naomi said, she said. Everything that Naomi suggested to her, she did. You will find the economy of a speech in this scripture. And it speaks about the way she related to Naomi. So, in chapter 3, then Naomi, from verse 1, her mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? So, he's winnowing barely tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he, he finished eating and drinking. 
But when he lies down, observe the place where he lie. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. This is actually a, a weird action that she needed to make. I'd, if I give, a, I give you a prophecy like that, lady, you must already reply, heresy. <laughs> this was hectic, all right? But here's the thing. She was only bold for one reason. She trusted Naomi. She decided to obey Naomi. You know, I think for me, real leadership is in positions. Real leadership happens when there is trust. You know, every time people got abused, there was a leadership abuse. It's always when trust was never, there was never space for trust. There was more space of positions. And whenever you, you operate from a place of position, we hurt and we damage people. But Jesus, you'll notice in Jesus, when Jesus gave this difficult sermon, he said, well, if you drink of my blood and, do, and, you, and you eat of my flesh, you, you know, you will have it everlasting life. Many people left. And he questioned the disciples. He said, well, you guys are sticking with me. Why don't you also follow others? Then Peter said, where, can, where else can we go? Because the words that brings life, that brings eternal life, only comes from your mouth. So, what I'm saying is there was, a, there, was a, there was a level of commitment and humility and submission that you see in Ruth towards Naomi. And you'll see that the, her whole destiny, her whole future was unlocked through the actions of obedience to the instructions that she was given by Naomi. Now imagine yourself, if you were Naomi, or no, you were Ruth, and the Holy Spirit was Naomi. Just think of where you are at, in the way you engage with the person of the Holy Spirit. And imagine yourself in this story. Imagine yourself, perhaps in the narrative of your own life. How would your life look like if you were to, the Lord would say to you, I'm wanting you to go to, let's say, to Namibia or to, to France or whatever it is. And I'm wanting to journey with you. But all I want, with me, and you say to, you, to the Holy Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. How different would your life look like to the way it looks like right now? How will our life look different to the way it looks like? And I think the only person that displayed how it looked like being loyal to God was Jesus. Jesus said, I do. What I see my father doing. Jesus' Jesus' life was in 100% agreement with God. 
That is why even Jesus, when he prayed for the sick, all of them were healed. There was not a single person, a single sick that Jesus prayed for that was not healed. Because even his prayers were moments of agreement with the Father. And I'm going to share another story, which is the story of Elisha and Elijah. You find this story, I'm just going to quote it so that we, spend, we, we spare some time as well. In 2 Kings chapter 2, you'll see before Elijah was taken to heaven, he was with Elisha. And with Elisha, he, he took him in four, at four places. He took him, first of all, to Gilgal. When he went with him at Gilgal, he said to him, remain here. I'm going to go somewhere else. Uh, I'm about to go. And the Bible says there were some sons of the prophet who told, him, who told Elisha, don't you know that your master is about to go? And you actually notice that none of those sons of the prophet followed Elijah. The next minute you'll notice Elijah saying, okay, well, let's go to another place. Then he took him again to Jericho. They went to Jericho. They went to Bethel. They also went to Jordan. And in all of these three places, Elijah almost discouraged him from following him. Because he was telling him, remain here. I'm about to, to go. Remain here. I'm about to go. It's very interesting when you, when you read uh, that particular portion. It's in Second uh, Kings chapter 2 from verse 1. But, and then when they arrived at the Jordan, he also told him, well, uh, then remain here. At some point, he was about to go. He said, if you see the way I will be going, then it will happen to you. You will actually see that in the whole story of Elijah, Elisha receiving the double portion, there was a sense of loyalty. There was a, there was a place of, there was a hunger and thirst that was in Elisha which played a massive role as well in terms of the whole process. And I think sometimes, I feel like sometimes we need to trust God for that. That we remain hungry for the Lord. Because nobody ever arrived. Nobody is perfect. Nobody can say, I have arrived. There is no need for me to, to, to hunger for the Lord anymore. Because the road is, is deep. And every single day, we see something of him. Just like the angels in heaven. Every single day and night, they're constantly singing. They constantly receive this revelation about his holiness. So now, coming back to the loyalty conversation, to the Holy Spirit. Now, if you come into the New Testament... One of the first people that you see from the gospel, for example, is Mary. Mary was about to, you know, the angel appeared to her, Gabriel, and said, well, you will have a child, and you shall come the Messiah. And she said, well, I'm a virgin, how is it going to happen? Then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will conceive. Now, the question that I'm wanting to Perhaps for us to think is, what was it like for Mary waiting until the time the Holy Spirit will come? Because when the angel said to her, 
You know what he said? The key is in this. He said, let it be done according to your word. What was the attitude of Mary before the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit? And I think stewarding, first of all, she stewarded that word. Those words. In one of the French translations, it says that it's almost like she was walking through those words and coming backward and, and, and forward. She was meditating on words. She kept those things in her heart. So there was a sense of loyalty to the Holy Spirit. That was going to be the one that will bring this miracle of birthing Jesus within her. Now, we see as well in that the whole life of Jesus was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. His birth through the power of the Holy Spirit, it was prophesied. He was involved in his birth. He was involved in his upbringing. Bible says that even when he got baptized, the Holy Spirit came like a dove. And you'll see that Jesus, Bible says the Holy Spirit took him to the wilderness to be tempted. And right after that, Jesus did many miracles healing the sick through the Spirit of God. And you'll see that even when he died, one of, the, one, of the, one of the places the scripture says that he released his spirit. In Hebrews it says that it was through the Holy Spirit that he gave himself as a sacrifice. And even when he resurrected, he resurrected through the power of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, if the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives inside of you, it shall, shall revive your mortal bodies. Jesus resurrected through the Holy Spirit. And he ascended as well through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the last promise he made was the promise of the Holy Spirit. His entire life was orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. In fact, before he started his ministry, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to heal the sick, to proclaim the good news to the poor. Now, the key in the way Jesus did live his entire life is how he stewarded the Holy Spirit that was upon him. The Bible says when the Spirit came upon him when he was being baptized, it remained. I like the way Bill Johnson put it. He said, imagine if the Holy Spirit was that dove on your shoulder. And imagine if you knew that the Holy Spirit is on your shoulder and you are aware that he's there. How will that affect the way you would walk, making sure that the, the, the dove remains on your shoulder? That's the picture of our loyalty to him. That's a picture of how it would look like to, to live and engage with the Holy Spirit and engage with the personal. Now, the Holy Spirit, sometimes some people perceive him as a power. The Holy Spirit speaks. He's a person. He's God in our midst. Many times, we don't necessarily fully experience what it. We don't necessarily experience the fullness of the kingdom in terms of the thing that the Holy Spirit does because many times we ignore him. It's probably one of the most ignored. Today, there is even a Christianity without the Holy Spirit. How do I, why do I say that? There's a lot of Christianity that we can do without praying, 
without reading the word, without fellowshipping with him. What I'm saying is, God is relational. And he sent his Holy Spirit. He's actually himself. And he wants to have that relationship with us. Now, if we were like Ruth and Naomi, and if he was your mentor, he was my mentor, how safe would it be for us to remain in communion with him? I think one of the great, I think the most important thing in our journey of God is obedience. And obedience is, is an outflow of our relationship with God. If you, if you study someone like Moses, all the miracles that God did with him, all of them were done via an obedience to an instruction that God would give to him. Take your stuff, do this way, do this, do this. He was constantly dictated by the Holy Spirit. Now Naomi, or Ruth, when she was, when she was uh, in Judah, she, she didn't just want to live the way she wanted. She didn't want to do whatever she felt like doing. But she positioned her life in a place where she was dictated by Naomi. If we can't reposition ourselves in a place where we, cause we trust him, we know that he is the one that loves us the most. And we choose to be dictated by his voice. It would be very difficult to do his will. Because even when people offend us, he is the only voice that can give us strength to be able to forgive and move on. We can't do this life with God without the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus portrays the Holy Spirit as the comforter. He speaks about the Holy Spirit as the teacher. Now imagine if you were a student and the Holy Spirit was your teacher. How amazing would that be? How amazing would that be? Because the prophecies in the Old Testament said, nobody will need even to teach others because I will put my, my law in their hearts. I will put my law. And that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. He is the ultimate teacher. The Holy Spirit doesn't just teach about abstract things. It teaches even about natural things. And how would it be remaining loyal to this teacher that heaven has provided to you and I? Perhaps we're struggling with certain things. Could it be that we struggle to sit in this classroom to allow him to be our teacher? And how will it be like remaining loyal to this heavenly teacher, the Holy Spirit? The Apostle Paul says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Because he feels. He feels. I remember one day, I was asked to sing somewhere. And I was like, well, I don't really feel like oh, I want to go sing there. As I started saying that, I felt the Holy Spirit was grieved in me. He said, who are you? Who do you think you are? That was not one minute. It wasn't a one minute. Who do you think you are? It wasn't a judging word. It was an encouragement. 
Because he loves me. There was love in that word. It wasn't a condemnation. The Holy Spirit does not condemn. Never. He never condemns. Who do you think you are? I realized I was missing something that he was doing. I was operating in the flesh. He feels. He feels. The Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks. He leads and he guides. The problem today is that we've lost the feeling of the Holy Spirit. We can't feel what he feels. And how can we feel what he feels if we are not tight with him? People who are married, they, they know each other so well that when you, we, you might pass them around and you're not picking up anything, they can know that mm, maybe my wife, uh, she's, she's not doing well. Or maybe her husband is maybe frustrated or maybe he's just tired. Or he's, they know because they know one another. But when we fellowship the Holy Spirit, like Paul says, May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Because without that fellowship, we can't be Christians. We can't be Christians. Because there are conversations that can only be sorted out properly by the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons why we end up in trouble, fighting one another, operating in the flesh, is because we switch off the Holy Spirit. We switch him off and we hear other voices. Here's the thing. If you don't, if we don't listen to his voice, there will always be another voice. That's just the reality. If you don't listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, there will always be another voice. Either your own voice, either your cultural voice, or the enemy's voice. Jesus, when he was tempted, he knew that this was the voice of the enemy. He was able to discern. There are even moments where Jesus would would be asked to go and maybe attend a function or a party. And he wouldn't just go. He would wait for a time and then he would go. So what I'm saying is, we have this person in our midst, this friend that heaven has availed to each and every one of us. How will it look like if we would choose to have fellowship with him? And, now from, and one of the practical things that I think portrays our loyalty to him is hearing his voice and following what he says. And, and how do we hear his voice? In fellowship with him. And one of the places we fellowship is in prayer. Go and do your research today. Just in Cape Town. The least attended meetings are prayer meetings. If you do your own day the amount of time, the least time you spend, we spend is the time in prayer. You know why? Because it's mechanical, our prayers. It's very mechanical. It's not relational. When prayer becomes relational, you're not even going to start thinking about how long you prayed because it's basically going to be a conversation. It's not going to be like, oh, no, I'm praying for, that's legalistic. I need to pray for 45 minutes. I need to pray for an hour. That's still a little bit legalistic. There is a good thing about it, planning, but when, when, it, when, the, when the relationship with the Holy Spirit becomes more real, when the Holy Spirit becomes more real to you than any other thing around you, then prayer becomes a real conversation. It's like healing. Someone said that uh, healing happens when the Holy Spirit, when God becomes more real to you than your disease. That's when healing happens. Even the whole issue of sin, 
when the Holy Spirit becomes more real to you, so easy. Sin will just flee. So what I'm saying is, Jesus constantly prayed. If Jesus prayed, oh my goodness, Matthew Ntumba, who are you? And when I say pray, I don't mean begging and this, Lord, you know, I'm here and I'm in trouble. There is a land expropriation without compensation. And I don't know what I need to do about this. And you know, God, I'm in trouble. I'm offended. What can I do? I need money. I need this. And Lord, I need a cell phone. Oh, I need to fix that. And oh, God, I need a wife. And you know, I'm, I'm single. And there's a lot. There's, Lord, I need your help. I'm not talking about that. He's not offended as well by that. But I'm talking about moments where the Lord invites you in his presence. He's like, can I have conversations with you? Can we chat? I read one, one day a book about Good Morning Holy Spirit. And the guy testifying said, one day as he was about to fellowship, he was invited in, uh, somewhere in, in the UK. And then uh, he was invited to go and have breakfast. As he was about to go, the Holy Spirit said, you're not done yet. Remain. You are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. It's almost like the Holy Spirit said, I missed you. Please remain. We are not done yet. I would love to live like that. It's so powerful when the Holy Spirit can wake you up. You are sleeping, but the Holy Spirit wakes you up because there are conversations he needs to have. Here's our problem today. We switch him off. Boom, CNN says something. Now we create a WhatsApp group. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. But Jesus left his disciple in the upper room. They were waiting. That was the price they had to pay. They were waiting. In one accord, they sat and expecting the Holy Spirit. That was one of the ways they, had, they were loyal to the Holy Spirit. They were waiting for him in the upper room. The church was birthed in the upper room. It wasn't this religious and men's ideas thing. It was from a place of waiting on this promise to be fulfilled. The promise of the Holy Spirit. But today, we're running away from the upper room. But we still want to do the works of Jesus. That's very challenging. It is impossible. We can't be the church of Acts if we don't choose to be like the church. If we don't want to go into the upper room. There are people who say they are called to ministry, and yet they don't go to the upper room. The upper room. When last, this is just a fun question, when last did you have 30 minutes with Jesus, 30 minutes with the Holy Spirit, and you felt, you know, either perhaps even an hour, conversation. I'm not talking about God, you know, you are amazing, and uh, I don't know. I'm praying 19. Amen. That's conversation to fill his heart, to connect with him. One of the reasons why we compromise, even in our values of the kingdom, is because there isn't that much of the fellowship. You actually see in the book of Acts, when Jesus speaks about um, the Holy Spirit, he said, you will be baptized, the Holy Spirit, the disciples automatically asked him, 
When are you rebuilding your kingdom? In Acts chapter 1. When is your kingdom going to be established? He said, well, it's not up to you. The Father knows what's the time. And then he said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Jesus was having a, a kingdom conversation with them. And he said, you shall be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, till the end of the world. In other words, the kingdom will be expanded once you receive the Holy Spirit. The whole conversation was a kingdom conversation because the Holy Spirit, like someone said, he is the governor of the kingdom of God. He is the one who incarnates the kingdom of God. He is the one who brings the reign and the kingdom of God. You know, I love the story of Elijah. Once he, he, was, he was in this place, God said to him, go to the brook of Cherith. And he went there because there was... There was a drought, there was no rain, and he went there. He said, I've commanded the raven to feed you. When he got there, they were feeding him and feeding him. And at some point, the Bible says, the water dried up. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah again. He said, go to the woman of Zarephtha, because I've commanded her to feed you. What was he hearing? Who was he? The Holy Spirit. He could have strived there in hunger. He could have remained there, suffering, and even dying, perhaps, if he couldn't choose to tune into the frequency where he could hear God's voice. Even when he went there, there was a miracle of multiplication until the rain came. What I'm saying, perhaps, sometimes we like Elijah, where we've done the first step of obedience, but we want to get stuck there. God is saying, can you reposition your ears again and follow me? Christianity is about hearing God's voice. Christianity is not about philosophies and, and theories and, and politics and all of that. No. Christianity is based on one thing. To hear the voice of the Spirit that rose Christ from the dead. In, the, in, the, in, in Revelations, there is a constant phrase to all of these churches. Let those who have ears hear what the Spirit says to the church. And how will it look like if you were to have your Holy Spirit as your teacher? Let's imagine our lives as being in a classroom and the Holy Spirit as a teacher. Let's imagine our lives as having one mentor, the Holy Spirit. And having a desire to be loyal to him. You know, naturally, it is impossible. It is only by his spirit. But I think these things can only be birthed in the spirit as we pray. Say, God, where you go, that's where I want to go. Where you stay, that's where I want to stay. Your people will be my people. Your, your interest will be my interest. Again, you may play the keys for me. Your people will be my people. Because I'm wanting to sense what you sense. The reason why I can't even sense is because I can't feel what
there was a statement that was done right at the end of the video. And the statement said, there is many evil things in the world, not because there is many evil people, but there is many evil things in the world because there are many good people that are silent. Sometimes that happens when we've become numb to feel what God feels. We don't want to be a church that is just a social club where people come and get entertained. When we come back, oh, it was boring. Oh, the worship was a little bit fine. Oh, that was because we come to be entertained. We come to be entertained. And we're saying to God, God, we don't want that. We want your heart. We want your plans. We want to engage with you. We want to connect with your heart. We want to connect with your priorities. What are the things that are, that are in your heart? What are the things that you're thinking about this city? Because we do not want to build a church according to us. We do not want to do things just the way we want. Just the way Hollywood wants. Not the way America does. Not the way whoever he does. But we want to do it your way. When Moses had to build the tabernacle, he didn't have to follow the constructions and, 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 and the fashion of the Egyptians. The Lord took him to the mountain so that you will see the real tabernacle. And the Lord said, you shall build it according to the model I've shown you. That's the one you're going to build. What's the kind of tabernacle are we building? What kind of life are we choosing to build? Is it the one we've seen on the mountain? Or is it the one we're seeing at the bottom of the mountain? Let's stand. Let's stand. I believe the Lord wants us to be people that can say to God in 2019, Holy Spirit, I want to be loyal to you. Wanting to be in a place, I don't want to be in a place where I neglect to, to speak to you, to tell you that I love you. I'm not I'm wanting to be a place where I can't even sense what you sense. The Holy Spirit is the gift of heaven to us. Jesus said, if the if if as weak as wicked as you are as human beings, you don't give stones when your, your children ask you for bread. How much more the Holy Spirit will give, God will give, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to His children. The Holy Spirit reveals the heart of the Father. So I would like us to, to pray a prayer of commitment to Him where we're saying, Lord, where you will go, Holy Spirit, I will go. Where you will stay, I will stay. Where you pray, I'll pray. I'm not going to follow my own agenda. Lord, we don't want to choose our own agendas. We do not want to conform to anything. We do not want to conform to anything contrary to, to your feeling, Holy Spirit. We do not want to conform to anything. 
But we want to see our lives, our hearts being renewed. Our mind being renewed. With the truth that your spirit speaks. Holy Spirit, we do not want to ignore you anymore. We've been trying to remove you away, to take you away from preaching, from singing, from doing our lives. But today, we are coming back to our friendship with you, our communion, because we understand, Father, it is not by might, it's not by power, but by your Spirit. The scripture says, nobody says that Jesus is Lord unless by the Spirit. But we've been trying to push people to say, Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. Today we come back. We come back to your word. We come back to your ancient ways. We come back to your word. So that we will know you. We will know your heart. So that we will worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. So that even in our homes, in our rooms, you will be welcomed. In our phones, you will be welcomed. In everything, you will be welcomed. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. It is your anointing that breaks the yoke. Look at the yokes we've been stuck in. Look at the things we've been stuck in. Because we never chose to reposition ourselves as Ruth positioned, repositioned ourselves to follow Naomi. But we choose this morning to follow you, to go where you're going. Like Moses, we pray, do not, we will not go. Do not let us go without your presence. Without your presence. We do not want to use you, but we want to hear your voice and follow you. We want to be able to, to live like Jesus to see what is to do what this is the father doing where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay what you pray I'll pray what you pray I'll pray where you go I'll go where you stay I'll stay what you pray, I pray. What you pray, I pray. I'm wanting to encourage you to, to sing this song as, as if this was the last opportunity you had to really tell the Holy Spirit that where you go, I will go. And if, even if you feel like just walking around from your chair and lying before the Lord and either going on your knees before him, whatever position will work for you. I would like to ask the uh, Armand and Tapiwa to maybe join as well. I would like us to to sing with faith. To really doing this as a real conversation and commitment with him. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. What you pray, I pray. What you pray, I pray.